Sister Charlie died the week I turned seven. Hate killed her, or so I'd heard. Whether it was hers or my own, I wasn't quite sure. I remembered once when I was just three years old, Sister Charlie found traces of soil in my panties. She dragged me to the toilet, ripped off my panties, and threw them in. She pushed me toward the bowl. It felt like she would snap my neck. My little hands couldn't fight her off. I opened my mouth to take a huge breath, and she dunked my head and held it under, then brought me up for a gasp of air. I gagged at the stench and the feces I'd swallowed, and vomited. She dunked my head again. With my face dripping, she dragged me back to the orphanage day room and thrashed my bare bottom with a thick red paddleboard in front of everyone. I knelt on the wooden prédieu and stared at the plain pine coffin, resting on the chapel altar. The hazy smoke of powerful incense curled to the ceiling. Through the incense, I smelled the long-ago feces, vomit, and rotting fruit. My feces and vomit. Her rotting fruit body odor. The altar was too high for me to see inside, even on tiptoe. I wondered if there was so much incense because she still stank like she did when she was alive. I wondered if God would thank her for being so strict with us orphans so we wouldn't go to hell for being bad. I wondered if the devil had a special toilet prepared for her with big, strong assistant devils who would dunk her head in feces and vomit every minute of eternity. For three days, the nuns herded us into the chapel to visit her body, and for two hours on each of those days, I knelt before dead Sister Charlie and worried about hell hers, and mine. What was I doing here? My heart pounded as I reached for the knob. It had taken more than four decades to reach this door. This man. I stopped with one foot inside and one outside the plush attorney's office. I studied the chalked colors decorating the room. The walls seemed to bleed pastels. If this pricey attorney didn't have the taste to hire a decent decorator— How could I trust him with my case? With my life story? He wasn't the man for the job. Of course, I didn't think anyone was the person for the job. Some things were best left buried. Before I could retreat, the secretary called out from her desk at the far end of the room. "Uh, Can I help you, ma'am? I gritted my teeth, dragged myself the rest of the way into the room, and took a few short steps across the expanse of pale carpet. The secretary smiled. Her teeth were too white, just as the walls were too crayoned, too everything. My name is Kim. I have an appointment with Mr. McMurray. Yes, ma'am. I'll let him know you're here. If you'd like to have a seat. She gestured toward the waiting area. He'll be right with you. I took the chair closest to the door, reaching to the small table beside me. I picked up a magazine devoted to parachuting, then put it down. A skydiving photo hung on the far wall. Hmm, a skydiving attorney. And I immediately pegged this man as arrogant and handsome with a type A personality. The inner door opened. William F. McMurray, attorney at law, strode toward me and extended his hand. Late forties, with a slow dance toward fifty, though time had been gracious. His clothing screamed wealth, while his manner spoke class, the good kind of class money couldn't buy. Hello, Kim?
In my mind, I stepped forward, driven by the need to expose injustices too long kept secret. In my heart, I stepped back, desperate to protect my family and my hard-won happiness. Instead, I rose and met his hand with mine. Mr. McMurray. Call me William. A youthful, warm smile reached his eyes. No, I thought I'll keep you at bay, keep the honorific for now. Mr. McMurray, I repeated, hinting at challenge by slightly raising a brow. Come on back, Kim. We'll use the conference room.